Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Culture Club time. And the man behind the Other Voices project is with us. Philip King joins us for the Culture Club, once a scullion, but has so many musical influences over the year and has influenced so much music. It is great to see you. How many years has Other Voices going now down in Dingle? Well, it's 22nd season, Matt. will go out to air on the last day of February, which is a leap year this year, the Thursday the 29th of February. And we're just working, editing, putting all the bits and pieces together. But it's been... Who did you have this year An amazing there? adventure. Well, we had... The wonderful murder capital, but CMAT came and bounced around the stage, and there she is, just getting a Brit Award nomination yesterday. So, when we set out to do the thing day one, I suppose our guiding principle was celebrate what's about to happen. And that really has guided us in the way that we go about doing this thing for the last 22 years. It's a tiny church in the west of Ireland, but it's nestled in a place that is hugely culturally rich. The language is not alone extant, but is flourishing in many, many ways. Um, The musical voice of the place is eloquent and powerful. And there is something in the place that is hugely attractive to people who are creative. And I think that really has been the key thing over the years in attracting people to come to the place. Amy Winehouse, God rest her, came and did a truly remarkable piece of singing Uh, in the church. She could really sing anything. Um, The National, when they were on their way, um, came to visit. Hosier did his first gig there. Glenn Hansard and myself soldiered away day one. And I suppose you could say that what we have done over 20 years and then in a further career, going back to bringing it all back home, which was in 1991, was to capture, if you like, the emotional history of Ireland through the soundtrack. I think Frank Hart, the great singer, um, born in Chapel, is a great song collector, a real dub, used to say, if you want to know the facts, uh, consult the history books. If you want to know what it felt like, ask a singer. So we're in the feelings business, I guess. And I suppose we get to an awful lot of your choices are other voices related as well. But the one thing that's always impressed me, Philip, about you is that, I mean, you're a musical historian, you're a musical traditionalist, you come out as a traditional music background, but you're so open to new things. You love embracing new music. Love to embrace new music and it keeps me young in that sense. So I, I, the only time I really feel old is when I look in the mirror. Um, <laughs> you don't look old, Philip. Well, I'm, I'm saying, neither do you, Matt. You're looking, gra- <laughs> you're looking great. And it's, but, but the music does keep you young. Yeah. And it's such an eloquent um, reflection of who and what we are. And I, I, I keep learning that or relearning that. When I get a sense of what it feels like to be Irish now, I grew up in the 50s in Ireland, in Cork City, a very musical place. But, you know, when we go back to 1923 and we say this was the year of the foundation of the state, W.B. Yeats won the Nobel Prize for Literature. We were a theocracy. We were beginning a journey into a post-colonial world. And we were also seeing that there was a massive hemorrhage of economic migration out of Ireland. When you look at the songs, and when you look at the stories and the literature and the language of the, the, the century, really, that has elapsed since 1923, when we graduated from being a theocracy, and some might argue with this, to being a modern, Irish, pluralist, diverse, independent, democratic republic, I never thought in my lifetime I'd live in a post-Catholic Ireland. I didn't 
ever think growing up in Cork City in the 50s and the early 60s that I would see same-sex marriage on the statute books in Ireland. And I think the music, the language, the literature, the drama, the films and the artistic life of Ireland echoes the emotional journey that we have taken as a nation through that century. And it's been an amazing expedition to be on for some of it. Let's go through your journey and let's go through your culture club choices. Sure. And start with the first single that you remember buying. And I think you have a Beatles track in mind. Yeah, myself and Kevin Linehan, God rest him, um, used to take the train up to Dublin every so often. And we used to go to US Discs in Capel Street, uh, an import shop. We used to save up all our pennies. And we used to buy various different things that you couldn't get in Cork. Now, you can get everything in Cork, like, but there were some things you just couldn't get back then. And um, we picked the, I picked the Beatles really because I think such a seminal influence and those beautiful little EPs, um, you know, things like the Magical Mystery Tour, var- various different ones. I treasure them, still have them at home. And every so often I take them out and put them on the turntable and spin them at 45 revolutions per minute. I think we have the digital version to play of Magical Mystery Tour. <laughs> We had Janice Ian last week talking about the Beatles as well, early Beatles. That's more of the sort of the psychedelic phase, isn't it? Well, it's just the beginning of the psychedelic phase, probably after Rubber Soul and after, uh, I guess it was, you know, Revolution and all of that. All, all There's so much going on in that track though as well, isn't there? Well, I mean, they were recording on four track. Um, they were musical expeditionaries. There is no doubt about it. They had brilliant fun in the studio. In the eight years of their career, say to six, from 62 to 1970, I mean, what they have done, you know, it's that sounds as fresh as a daisy. Yeah. George Martin's hands are all over it, but they embraced everything, really. They embraced every possibility in the studio and um, they're just mag- magnificent, absolutely magnificent. It's going to be impossible for you to sort of nominate a favourite album or favourite band or best gig because music means so much to you. So we will indulge you in giving us a list of some of your favourite albums. Go on. What have you got? You've actually done very well. You've brought it down to three for me. I did. Well, the band, Bob Dylan's backing band initially and then the band with Robbie Robertson. Who died only recently. That's right. And I was his such distinctive voice on the... Uh, the Killers of the Flower Moon soundtrack. Right. It just starts with him and just go, oh, there's Robbie Robertson. Yeah, he was very very friendly but Scorsese. Yeah. And they made The Last Waltz together, of course, which was in The Winterland, which is one of those great music films and uh, should really pick that as a music film because it's it's absolutely magnificent. But there was something about the band. They penetrated the beating emotional heart of America and they managed to be able to write songs that sounded as if they came out of tradition. But they were, in fact, new. And the ripples of their influence, really, 
was everywhere. And that second album, the Brown album, just simply called the band Oh To Be Home Again down in Old Virginia with my very best friend. They called him Ragtime Willie. And it could have been written any time, but it was of its time, as Seamus Heaney would say, and timeless. Love that record. In terms of Irish traditional music, um, I grew up in, I said, a very musical city. Sean O'Rea, they lived up the road um, in Dorgan's Road. His mother lived there. And um, he was John Reedy then before he changed his name to Sean O'Rea. And at that time, I guess, the Dubliners, the Clancy brothers were coming back from America. They were walking out of Carnegie Hall with Aaron sweaters over their arms, dressed in dress suits. They went down to the village and they sang the Patriot game written by Dominic Bean for Bob Dylan, who turned it into With God on Our Side two years later. So they were sending their tunes back. And it's very interesting if you take out the Mary Wallopers right now, you know, what they're doing is they're penetrating and accessing the Clancy Brothers and the Dubliner songbook. And it's great to see that happen. But one of the most important records in Irish traditional music for me, and one of the most beautiful and innovative, and I would say that Tommy Potts had that thing that the Beatles had. He was inquisitive musically, and that Tommy Potts record was 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 the Liffey Banks, a record without which we wouldn't have Irish traditional music today. But you can't go on without going north to Belfast. Sorry, just, just correct me if I'm wrong, though, just for that. Tommy Potts was an Illum Piper, wasn't he? No, Tommy Potts no, was, a, was a fiddle player. Oh, fiddle player, yeah, sorry. He was born in number six, the Coombe, but he was very much of the Potts family. Okay. Um, Sean Potts played the whistle in the Chieftains and Sean Potts' son, Sean Oak Potts, is a piper and um, is a really, really good piper as well. But they were, they were a musical dynasty from right in the heart of Dublin. And absolutely magnificent. But then go north to me. And uh, you're, many people have nominated in this slot over the years Astral Weeks by Van Morrison as their favourite album. Why have you picked it? I heard it very early on. I had been listening to them and I had bought my first harmonica, por- portable music, probably in Piggott's and Patrick Street um, in Cork. And Van was a great harmonica player. He did a version of, he did a br- brilliant version of a song called Mystic Eyes and um, loved what them were doing. He went to America. um, He recorded Brown Eyed Girl, which became a hit. And then he made this record. And it was, again, almost like found music. He walked into the studio. Was everything ready to go? Yes, it was. But what were they going to play and how long were they going to play it for? So there is a jazz inflection in this record. And I bought it in Hennessy's record shop in Oliver Plunkett Street for 33 and 11. And I remember walking all the way home up the Bandon Road, up Barrick Street, down Glasheen Road and into the little house that I grew up in and putting this on. And it really did change my life because it painted a picture of a, of a portrait of a possibility for what music could be. From Astral Weeks, here's a bit of Sweet Thing. Clear, clean water for the quench my thirst. 
watch, I watch the ferry boats and they'll get high on a blue ocean against tomorrow's. That's a little bit of Astral Weeks, the track Sweet Thing from Van Morrison. No. Favourite bands, you have given me a long list and we're definitely going to indulge this, Philip King. Tell us, because a lot of these people you've worked with. Well, I've had the great privilege of working with a lot of musicians throughout my long sort of musical expedition myself. And um, I met Elvis Costello when he moved to Dublin, uh, when we made Bringing It All Back Home for the BBC in the early 90s, in 1990 and 1991. Um, um, Elvis was living in Dublin and we got to know each other very well. And I'm a huge fan of what he does. Um, he's also a musical polyglot. He can move from one thing to the next with equal ease. And I don't think I've ever met somebody who knows as much about music as Elvis Costello. And I had the privilege of making two films with him. I made one called The Juliet Letters, where he worked with the Brodsky Quartet. And then later on, he always wanted to work with... Bert Bacharach because he grew up in Liverpool Anyone Who Had a Heart sung by Scylla Black I think it was the first single he bought with his own money but he vowed that he would always see if it would be possible and so it came to pass and I had the invitation from him to document the process of his musical relationship with Bert Bacharach who died as you know last year and um, it was that, that was a real privilege and a real wonderful thing to be able to go and do so fell in love with him and fell in love with his music. And there's just so many, so many other things. Um, Aurelia's Farewell, a truly poignant record, the band I mentioned already. And then, of course, the Kings. There's Albert King and Benny King and B.B. King. I had, B.B. King came to play first time in Dublin in the stadium. And Jerry Hartford, who was running the gig, I got a call from him and said, would you, would you come in and support B.B. King? And I was sort of fairly flabbergasted at this. So here was a, a young fella with a voice and a harmonica, no instruments. So I, I did the thing in the National Stadium. And when I was done, after a very nervous five or six songs, um, went into the dressing room smelling of wintergreen downstairs in the National Stadium. And there was a knock on the door. And uh, the, 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 the head of the axe of... Uh, Lucille, which was B.B. King's Sunburst 335 Gibson, came in the door followed by a very ample, um, ample B.B. And he said, he said, I do believe your name is King. Is that correct? <laughs> I, 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 I said, yes. And he said, yeah, he said, well, he said, you and me are the same family, boy. <laughs> and I was flabbergasted and we, ch we chatted away about music. And he, he said, um, I, I need to go and do my gig now. I need to go and, and, and do my show. And he said, but he said, uh, but don't you ever forget, he said, uh, he said, you and me the same family. And he went out the door and then he stuck his head back in and he said, he said, but you're the wrong colour. <laughs> so, I mean, that was BB. I mean, Captain Beefheart from the West Coast of the United States just loved it. Um, his anniversary was just, just, just recently. He was another expeditionary and Planksty. So, so important in the story of Irish music. And then when we think about what's going on now... Well, indeed, because I'm fascinated, you see, that you have Rachel Lavelle in there as yeah, well. Yeah. Who's a brilliant, no new talent. Yes, Rachel Lavelle is absolutely wonderful. She was at Other Voices this year and sang her heart out. She's supporting Lancome on this little leg of the tour that they're doing. But look at where we are. Look at the way things reinvent themselves. 
And look at the way we are in a modern post-colonial Ireland that you can have Lancome filling the Barbican and every show they do in the UK um, with that traditional music which they have made their own and left an indelible thumbprint on this stuff. And then you have Rachel Lavelle supporting them. I mean, what gifts and brilliance is coming out of Ireland musically right now is just remarkable. And then we're going to play a little bit of Denise Chyla. Now, Denise Chyla from Limerick. Um, this is dual citizenship. Um, we've filmed her doing this um, on a number of occasions and it's self-explanatory. Um, here I am. I am Irish. I can speak Irish. I have a Zimbabwean background. I am a person of colour. I am myself and I am the manifestation of this new Irishness with all of those conflicts inherent in what it is to be a citizen of Ireland now. Dual citizenship. Where are you from originally? are composed of borders and all of the lines that we have crossed that tangle our wires when we speak. There are some people who have borrowed accents from almost every single continent trying to fill in the blanks where our tongues are starting to trip over the languages that we were born into. We're having to pay for time reasons, unfortunately, not play that out in more detail. I've seen her perform live and she is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But give us best gigs because you've been to so many gigs and we want to take clips from two that were from other voices. But just give us, before we get to the other voices, on some of the other ones. Well, Planksty in the City Hall in 1971 was one of the most life-changing gigs I was ever at. I remember we were having a couple of pints in the Phoenix bar. Um, I guess you'll remember it quite I well. Do. I feel very and, uh, well. We slipped out across the road and Planksty were supporting Donovan in the City Hall in Cork and we went in and we sat down in the back row and Planksty came on as the support act. And Liam O'Flynn, God rest him, uh, Christy Moore, Donald Nunny, another giant and innovator of Irish music and um, Andy Irvine. Uh, took to the stage and uh, they began with the raggle taggle gypsy it's sort of it's imprinted on the old hard drive and they got to the place where that tune segues out of it uh, toward them the love you know uh, and it was almost as if everybody's hand went up and said that is ours um, we had been listening to all sorts of music much of the music we've been discussing yeah. from all different parts of the world, the blues, rock and roll, etc., country music. and But th- here was something that we could say with pride was ours. And Planksty continued for, you know, to make a number of records and every single thing that they did is of importance and is a sine qua non, the thing without which we do not have Irish music today. And they were like they were like our Beatles, if you like. They they they, they had it because what Donal and Andy did was they invented something. They invented that sound, that beautiful filigree sound of the bazooki and the mandolin playing together. Liam t- 
taking a traditional instrument into the heart of modern balladry and Christie inhabiting the songs like nobody else. And then the gloaming in Derry is on your list as well. Yeah, more musical innovators. We brought the gloaming to Derry. Um, I became involved very early on with the gloaming and we filmed them um, in Grouse Lodge when they were making the first record. And so you have Martin Hayes out of the well of tradition in East Clare. You have Dennis Cahill who grew up in Chicago but whose people come um, from West Kerry. You had Thomas Bartlett, um, a truly remarkable musician who had fallen in love as a child, really, with Martin Hayes' playing and got to play with him. And as he said, I had no red lines about traditional music because I didn't grow up with it. I just played away. Um, and he did. And then the truly remarkable Cuivin O'Rahalig playing his beautiful, beautiful fiddle. And how beautiful was it? David Bowie in the Three Arena. David Bowie in the Three Arena. Um lit by Tom Kenny, another Emma Gray from Ireland who has become one of the world's great lighting guys. I remember having the privilege of sitting at the lighting desk and watching the thin white duke um, do his thing like nobody else. And that version of Under Pressure with Gaylan Dorsey playing the bass and with that sort of swagger. But he just, he just owned the stage. It was just one of those, you know, hairs in the back of the head moment. Okay. From other voices, let's hear a bit of Amy Winehouse in 2011 at St. James's Church in Dingle with Love is a Losing Game. For you I was a flame Love is a losing game Five story fire you came Love is a losing game One I wish I'd never played oh, oh, Okay, what a voice we Unreal um, Never heard anything like it She could really, really sing anything From the East End she grew up with that jazz inflection in her voice and she really could sing anything. She arrived in Dingle, flew into Cork on a very, very wet, wet day. Um, we sent a car to pick her up and uh, drove her and Robin Banerjee, the guitar player that you're hearing there, uh, so wonderful, and Dale Davis, the bass player, to Dingle. No drummer. And you'll notice that she doesn't need a drummer to keep her square. She doesn't need a drummer to keep her keep herself in time. She's just floating on the song. And she sat down afterwards and s chatted with John Kelly. And she lived in the music. And the thing that I cherish about that gig was, she, I think she did six or seven songs. Uh, the London Times called it this, one of the 10 greatest gigs of all time because she was at home. She was happy inside in the song. And, you know, she was present. And when we hear all of the stories afterwards about her life, let's call it in a chemical world, she had not yet entered the chemical world and she was entirely present, very, very happy and sang just just so, so beautifully. I'm way over time, but I am going to ask you a little bit about the National because I think you might be largely responsible for really introducing them to Ireland. Well, it, again, again, a very wintry day. They had just arrived in Ireland. They... They were diverted from Dublin to Shannon because the weather was so bad. 
They got in a bus in Shannon and drove to Dublin, did the gig in the Olympia, got back in the bus and drove to Dingle. So we stayed up all night waiting for the National to arrive. They arrived about 6am in the morning and they came in and they were so happy to be there. Many of them changed their flights and stayed for a week. They walked across <laughs> to the Church of St. James, hopped up on the stage and, you know, I mean, pure, pure rock and roll from Cincinnati, Ohio, the great National. Blood Buzz, Ohio. Leave my head up to the right. Take it too far. Leave my head up to the right. Take it. This may be the longest first half of the Culture Club we've done since Gabriel Byrne or maybe Joe Elliott. But Philip King is on a roll. We're going to move away from the music and we're going to go to his, all his other Culture Club choices when we come back after the traffic. Welcome back. Philip King is with us. And you know what? He may talk a lot about music and he may have a breadth of knowledge which he has displayed there, which is extraordinary. But he knows his other cultural influences very well also. And let's start with books, actually, because you have something that's coming out at the Dublin Film Festival in March that they may face The Rising Sun, which, of course, was one of the great books by one of our most wonderful 20th century novelists and one of the most lovely men I've ever actually interviewed, John McGarren. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you've done with this. Well, John McGarren was a friend. Um, we got to know him very well. Um, I sat at the Arts Council at the same time as John and we got, got to know each other. And he was the sort of the sort of a man that you'd go off and you'd drink vats tea with. And, you know, you'd fall into conversation, fall into silence, lapse into silence. And then after a little while, he'd, he might say something about, you know, do your people come from Belladrine? Or, uh, is your father? Yeah, I have you now. Yes, he, he, was, he, he, he was just wonderful in every way. Um, a complex man. Um, Dermot Ferreter said about John McGahern that he said, if you want to understand the second half of 20th century Ireland, read McGahern. Uh, we made one film with him directed by Pat Collins uh, called just John McGahern, um, a memoir. And then we made, we've made this film now that they may face the rising sun. It's directed by Pat and it's going to close the Dublin Film Festival on the second of on the 2nd of March. And it's, it really was a passion project. These films are difficult to make. They're difficult to fund and finance. And notwithstanding the sort of great, I suppose, emphasis now and the great celebration around Irish film just now, um, with Killian being nominated and with Poor Things doing so well, um, they're, they're difficult to make. And there's a huge, it's a collaborative art. Um, putting this together. So this took three years to do. We first started talking about it in 2017 and it's 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 done and um, we're very, very, very happy about it and hopefully people will love it. What other novelists do you turn to? There are so many. Um, it's hard to know where to start. Um, you gave us one who also did a culture club with us whose work I love, Kevin Barry. Oh, I love Kevin Barry, yeah. Um, Kevin's short stories are beautiful. Um, they are so, so beautiful. The Night Boat to Tangiers was um, a, like a magnificent book. and One of the best books out of Cork. And ever. even though Kevin is not a Cork writer, he, he caught Cork brilliantly. In he it. did. I think his job as a sub-editor in the Examiner or something <laughs> yeah. it sort of brought him along <laughs> and gave him the Cork twang. Exactly. Yeah. I think the Phoenix featured in it as well. Very, it a bar very like it. it. But anyway, yes. Yeah. And you've got Claire Keegan in there as well. 
Yes, I mean, the again, masterful. It's almost a novella, isn't it? It's the dis, the, the distillation of feeling. Uh, McGarren used to talk about that his, his, his great ambition was to write good sentences. And Claire Keegan certainly does that. I mean, we have an amazing, rich cultural life, don't we, Matt? I mean, right across so many different things. Bring me back to movies. And we asked you about your favourite movie, favourite director, favourite actors, and you've given us all. So tell us what you've picked. Well, I picked The Dead um, because the short story was beautiful. The challenge for a filmmaker to turn it into something coherent um, was taken up by John Huston, probably the last movie that he made with a brilliant performance by Angelica and the late Donald McCann. And um, I, I think he captured the essence of the piece and that piece as it comes to the end, The Lass of Ockram and Frank Patterson singing the song in that big, high Irish tenor. And sometimes these things can be seen as cliched, but there was something so poignant and beautiful about the power of that particular song and where it came in the film and how it really amplified the feeling that was between Angelica and Donald McCann at that part as they looked out the window and the snow began to fall. You have, as your favourite director, an Englishman who spent most of his life in Ireland, although I think he's recently left the yeah. country, John Borman. Yes, I learned an awful lot from John Borman. Um, I really loved Deliverance when I was a kid. I loved the Dueling Banjos piece. And he always had that relationship with the power of nature, I think. And it was in the Emerald Forest and in several others of his, of his films. But of course, his life in Ireland and his massive contribution to what we now call the Irish film industry, it could not and would not exist without him and without his care without his contribution and without his attention and his, I think, his love for this particular place and um, his love of Irish people. He gave the likes of Brendan Gleeson their starter movies, didn't he? Who you've done as one of your favourite actors. Well, The General was uh, a great black and white movie uh, made bravely by John Borman and Brendan starred in it as Martin Cahill and... We talked a little bit about Van Morrison earlier on. Um, I produced the soundtrack for the picture and Van came in to uh, to play the harmonica and he was absolutely wonderful. And th- th- that picture just captured something of the enigma that was Martin Cahill. And Borman was drawn to him, to the complexity of him. And I think he captured him really well and the soundtrack of the thing uh, turned out real well. And you have a Kerry actor there as well, Jessie Buckley, who's also an incredible singer. She is. I mean, I first heard Jessie as a singer. Um, She's from Killarney and she is truly, truly wonderful. I mean, talking about multi-talented, her turn um, in Cabaret, in the new theatre version of Cabaret in London, was truly remarkable. And the way she inhabits the characters in the films that she chooses to be involved with um, is remarkable. She's a brilliant talent. Let's hear her in Cabaret. Yeah. What good is sitting alone in your room? Come hear the music play. Life is a cabaret, old chum. Come to
Okay, Jessie Buckley, better known perhaps as an actress, but a hell of a singer as well there in Cabaret. Quickly, because we're really tight on time, plays. You've nominated Sive by J- J- John B. Keane, which I actually saw last night, just started in the Gaiety. Yes, I'm, I'm nominated because I grew up in Cork City and the Theatre of the South was run by a man called James N. Healy. And he was the person really who was responsible for bringing John P. Keane's work to a national platform. I think he had been rejected by the Abbey on a number of occasions. And um, James N. took on the oeuvre or the, the plays of John B. Keane. And I remember as a boy seeing it somewhere in Cork City, probably the Father Matthew Hall, with my father, um, with a, a company called the Theatre of the South. And it sort of, it, it never left me. In a way, John B. Keane was able to capture the darkness of what it was to grow and be in part of community in rural Ireland. Not unlike McGarn, but he he penetrated into the sometimes the very, very dark heart of of rural Ireland. And the play has stayed with me from day one. May white snuff be at your wake, baker's bread and corny cake. And it was the little song that got me day one. The black man from the mountain, Seanine Rue. We're so tight in time. I'm not going to play any more clips. <laughs> but just let's talk a little bit about television. What do you like in recent years? What have you watched? The Wire was a game changer. Um, I think it changed the the grammar of what was possible. I think the West Wing changed the grammar of what was possible as well. And, you know, these were made by people who had a political agenda. And I mean, a lot of people say that Aaron Sorkin is responsible for so much stuff um, that has changed the way we think about politics, but maybe not in the most accurate of ways possible. Um, we no- had Mick Heron in here for a culture club just over years ago, the author who's written the Slow Horses series of books, which has turned into just wonderful television. You also have that in your list. Well, isn't Gary Oldman just amazing? Possibly his best thing he's done? Well, w- certainly one of the best things he has done. And the way he inhabits um, the character, you know, uh, is, is is wonderful. The reject the person down the road, but the person that is still feared, excluded, but can't be got rid of. Um, you know, there's a metaphor there for something. Knows too much. Knows too much stuff. is still a little bit dangerous. And maybe we'll call him in if we need him. But his, you know, his attitude is to give it all the finger, isn't it? Let's finish. We asked for a cultural treasure, buried treasure. And you gave us the longest list anyone's given us, <laughs> including a visit to the Crawford Gallery in Cork, which is a good idea. Yep. But what I want you to do is just to finish, can you read a poem for me? I sure can. Um, Tell us what it is and why you've picked it. Well, there are many poems that rattle around in my head as as we go on. And there are some beautiful poems about music and uh, about song. But one of the most poignant of all is written by the 13th century Persian poet Jalaladin Rumi. And he says, where everything is music. Don't worry about saving these songs. And if one of our instruments breaks, it doesn't matter. We have fallen into the place where everything is music. The strumming and the flute notes rise into the atmosphere. And even if the whole world's harp should burn up, there will still be hidden instruments playing. So the candle flickers and goes out. We have a piece of flint and a spark. This singing art is sea foam. The graceful movements come from apparel somewhere on the ocean floor. 
they derive from a slow and powerful root that we can't see. So, stop the words now. Open the window in the centre of your chest and let the spirits fly in and out. Listener, can I tell you, that was recited from the heart. There was no reading of that. And it's a terrific way to finish what has been an incredibly enjoyable Culture Club with Philip King. And don't forget that the new series of Other Voices begins broadcast on RT2 on the 29th of February. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.